Wedge Issues is brought to you by WISPolitics.com, a place where political insiders go for news, opinion, and campaign information. Once again, that's WISPolitics.com. Jennifer Schilling is a bus stop mom from La Crosse who, like any good Wisconsinite, enjoys a good supper club. But when she's not dropping her kids off at the bus stop in La Crosse, she's down at the state capitol in Madison, serving as the Senate Minority Leader. I'm Jesse O'Poyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about state government and politics in Wisconsin. I sat down recently with Senator Schilling to talk about the new era of divided government in Wisconsin, where she, as a Democrat, for the first time in eight years, has an ally in the governor's office, but will continue to have to find ways to work with Republicans who hold majorities in both chambers of the legislature. Stay tuned for my conversation with her about what she calls the arranged marriage of Democrats and Republicans in the Capitol, and her very favorite supper club in the whole state. But first, let's catch up on what's happening in the Capitol this week. Welcome back to Wedge Issues, Jason Joyce, news editor at the Cap Times. It's been a while. Yeah. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I guess it is still a thing that you can say. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I say it until February. Okay. That's fair, right? Yeah, I think that's all right. So, uh, New year, new legislative session. New legislative session. New governor. Still new. Still new governor smell, I think, to Tony Evers. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll get into that in a minute, I think. But he delivered his first State of the State address the other night, which it's he, he gets on this sort of run of speeches. I mean, he, he gave his uh, inauguration speech. Did he speak at the Martin Luther King Day he celebration? He did briefly, briefly speak at that. And then follows that up with his first State of the State. Yeah. Uh, takeaways from, from that. Not too long from now, also, he'll have his first budget. Address. Right. So a lot of speeches for him to introduce himself. Yeah, we didn't hear a lot of new things, I don't think, in this speech. Um, and when I say not a lot of new things, I mean not a lot of new things from Tony Evers. It was certainly a different speech than Governor Walker would have given while in office. But yeah. talked a lot about education, talked about the budget that he's proposing for that, which we've known about for some time now, really since September. We've known what he wants to do with education, which is um, a pretty massive increase in, in funding for that. Talked about health care, which is a thing that everyone agrees with on the surface level. But once you dig into the details, it gets a little more contentious and complicated. Tax cuts being sort of the same. He talked about this 10% uh, income tax cut he wants to deliver to middle class families. And, you know, that was a huge applause line, actually one of the few lines that got everyone to stand up and cheer and and, uh, get excited. And then there was a but. (laughs) Of course. The but is how he's going to fund it, which is by capping the manufacturing and agriculture tax credit. And uh, Republicans, of course, want to use a positive balance in the budget to fund that tax cut. So no applause from the Republicans for the the how we're going to do it part of that speech. But yeah, right. he, you know, he, he also, I think an interesting thing was he said this is going to be the year of clean water in Wisconsin. And it'll be interesting to see what that means because um, we're talking about groundwater issues. We're also talking about lead pipe issues. So it's sort of both a urban and rural issue. I think another thing that we're hearing a lot more from Tony Evers that we didn't hear um, talked about as much by Scott Walker was uh, racial disparities and the issues of the achievement gap. Yeah. Now, 
In addition to that speech this week, the legislature was in session. The assembly met for one reason, um, to discuss this uh, this bill about pre-existing conditions, which was also, you know, an issue in the campaign, um, has been an issue nationally and locally. So where do we stand there? What What's that bill all about? Oh, man. Uh, we have no <laughs> idea where we stand on this. Oh. <laughs> um, the pre-existing conditions bill has, has made its way through the legislature in one way, shape, or form at several different points throughout the last year or okay. so. Yeah. Um, this became a campaign issue, like you said, for both parties. And everyone wants to say, if the Affordable Care Act goes away, we're going to protect people who have pre-existing conditions. We're going to make sure that insurance companies will cover them. Um, it gets a little bit complicated then when you talk about how you're going to do that because there are some things that states can compel insurance companies to do and there are some things that only the federal government can compel. So this bill would say insurance companies cannot deny coverage to someone who has a pre-existing condition. An amendment was added to the bill. This is something that Democrats and Tony Evers wanted that also says insurance companies can't impose annual or lifetime caps. The third element that did not get added to the bill, which Tony Evers wanted and Democrats also wanted, was coverage of essential health benefits and specifically prescription drugs and maternal care. Republicans argued that was a little bit much of a, a little bit of a stretch um, from where they started, just talking about this one element of pre-existing conditions. And um, we heard a lot of the argument of "Don't let the perfect get in the way of the good." Right. Um, let's just do what we can here and take this as a first step. So it was a pretty substantial debate, a lot of discussions from really everyone about their family's health history, yeah, really, and you right. know why this is personal to them, um, really driving home the point that everyone either knows someone or is someone who has a pre-existing condition. So, of course, this is not a partisan issue. Um, a lot of argument from Republicans that this is a first step let's do this and then, you know, move on and have the next conversation after this. A lot of conversation from Democrats that this is a complex issue. We should address it with a complex bill rather than just trying to take this one issue. At the end of the day, it ended up being a bipartisan vote. All the Republicans voted for it and 16 of 36 Democrats voted for it. So not a small number there. Right. So now the question, of course, is what might happen with our friends in the Senate and would this bill ever reach a form where Tony Evers would uh, sign it? Yeah. So the Senate is a big question mark. (laughs) I think I'm not going to get the direct quote from Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald, but it was something to the effect of, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) Um, Uh, Clear as mud. (laughs) So, you know, the same issues I think exist in the Senate that have always existed. There are Republicans who have issues with mandates on insurers. There are also Democrats who are going to oppose it in the same way that they did in the Assembly, where they say this doesn't do enough. Um, That's if you want to break down the issue in the Senate, there are going to be people who say it does too much and there are going to be people who say it doesn't do enough. And I don't think we know at this point uh, how many of those votes are, are there uh, to actually get it across the finish line. And when it comes to Governor Evers, he is all but signaled he is not going to sign this. I don't know if that means he's not going to sign it and it will become law because that is what happens if you don't sign it, or if that means he's going to veto it, um, or if he's going to you know, say, try again. You know, Republicans gave him some of what he wanted, but not all of it. And it it sounds like he has, you know, said, these are my criteria. I'm not going to sign it unless all of them are met. Yeah. 
Interesting. Of course, this comes against the backdrop of uh, the name change of the Milwaukee baseball stadium from Miller Park to American Family Insurance, whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know if that has anything to do with it here or not, but I think this is just an opportunity to air any grievances about that that you may or may not have, Jesse. Thank you, Jason, for that opportunity. Um, I have many, and I will limit them <laughs> at this moment. <laughs> I just think, you know, we've first of all, it's the Brewers, it's beer. It should be Miller Park. Right. If it's not Miller Park, it should be something historic and, like, not a corporation. Yeah. It's nice that it's a Wisconsin company. Second, we already went through the one thing with the sausages. It used to be Clements, and we had to get used to Johnsonville sponsoring the racing sausages this year. And now we're going to have to process this name change for the ballpark, too. True. How do you feel about this, Jason? I don't really care. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the way I look at it, right, it's like the Jerry Seinfeld joke. Uh, You know, we don't, you know, they they change the players, they change the coaches, they change the name of the ballpark, they change everything. Basically, when you're rooting for a sports team, you're rooting for laundry. Christian Yelich, you know, wasn't at a brewer two years ago. Now he's like everybody's favorite dude. So... That's fair. I, I'm, I'll just take it in stride. It'll be okay. Right. I know it'll be okay. But it does drive home the point. We're talking about insurance an awful yep. lot this week, whether it be with the brewers or whether it be with pre-existing conditions and health insurance. Right. One more thing that we've been talking about a little bit is this: uh, the lawsuit that Wisconsin is, I don't know if embroiled is the right word, but involved in involving uh, the Affordable Care Act joined by former Attorney General Brad Schimmel. A big part of the campaign, Tony Evers made it an issue in the campaign that he and Josh Call, the the newly elected attorney general, made it a big part of his campaign. They wanted to pull the state out of that lawsuit. They are in favor of ACA slash Obamacare, and they they wish to not weaken it by a lawsuit. And some new developments in that story arose this week. Yeah, a few developments. In fact, this is, like you said, this was a big theme of the campaign. This was a lawsuit that Scott Walker and Brad Schimmel entered saying, we want to overturn the Affordable Care Act. Tony Evers, Josh Call said, if we're elected, the first thing we're going to do is pull the state out of this lawsuit. Of course, even if Wisconsin withdraws from the lawsuit, the lawsuit goes on. There are a lot of other states right. on this lawsuit. But that aside, it's you know sort of the principle of the thing. They don't want to spend tax dollars on an effort to overturn the Affordable Care Act. Uh, in the extraordinary session, lame duck session, whatever you want to refer to it as, uh, Republicans passed legislation that, in, among other things, made it so that the governor can't be the one to say, hey, attorney general, get out of this lawsuit. It can only be done with approval from the legislature's joint finance committee, where Republicans hold the majority right. and are not likely to grant that approval. So that complicated things for Tony Evers, who said, no, I'm still going to find a way to fulfill this promise. So a few weeks ago, he said, I'm going to direct the attorney general to change his position on this lawsuit, to change the state's position, rather, on this lawsuit. And we said, well, how are you going to do that without breaking the law? And he said, I'm, there's a way. I've got a way. Mm-hmm. And we said, OK. He said, just wait and see. All right. We waited. We saw. In his State of the State address, he said, I am fulfilling my promise by directing Attorney General Call to withdraw the state from this lawsuit. We said, how are you going to do that without breaking the law? <laughs> right. <laughs> Republicans right. said, it sounds like you're telling the attorney general to break the law. They said, no. Or not. Attorney General was pretty tight-lipped. He said, I will, the, the, the Department of Justice will act in accordance with the law. We sure. will comply with the law. So then we saw the letter. And the letter actually does not direct 
him to withdraw from the lawsuit, as Tony Evers said in his speech. The letter says, I am withdrawing my authority, basically saying, I'm withdrawing my endorsement of this lawsuit. Do with that what you will. Um, So now it's up to the attorney general to say, you know, do I want to go to the legislature and seek approval of this? Do we just continue with this lawsuit, I guess, without the governor's stamp of approval on it? Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of in their court at this point. But I, I think, you know, the next logical step would be to take this to the legislature and ask them to approve withdrawing from it. Um, but there is a little bit of confusion over what can Governor Evers do and what is he going to do and what is he asking the attorney general to do? Yeah. I mean, it, it may speak to, well, he's been branded Governor Flip Flop now. Whether that's fair or not is sort of immaterial once you get branded, especially by Dan Bice, a prominent columnist in the state. Um, you know, once you sort of get that name tag, it, it's a question of whether it will wear off or not. So I guess we'll have to stay tuned um, to see what what more comes of this. But this might be this might be a signal of, you know, him sort of figuring out what he can say, what he can't say, what he how his actions match up with his rhetoric and um, and going forward we'll we'll see that play out yeah it's um you know I, it sounds silly to just keep saying it's going to be an interesting few weeks and months but it is it just really yeah. is it's a little hard to predict exactly what's going to happen here as we head into the budget season it sounds like things are already off to a contentious start with republicans wanting to go it alone on their um, work from a base budget rather than take what the governor proposes so i think we're in for Uh, a lot of uh, back and forth in these next few months as everyone kind of figures out this new environment, uh, which my guest on this week's podcast refers to as an arranged marriage. She Ah. says, I don't think out of this building we would even date each other. And here we are having to rely on each other and figure out how to deal with it. Your guest, of course, this week, uh, Senate Minority Leader Jennifer Schilling. Who's a who's a good engaging uh, guest, right? Yeah, we had we talked about you know the legislature, but we also spent some time talking about some supper clubs and uh, uh-huh. the the wonder of her district, which is the Driftless area. Yeah, so, fabulous! I look yeah. forward to hearing it. Thank you for having me on Wedge Issues this week. Thank you for being here. Jennifer Schilling. I like to introduce myself as a mom with a minivan, uh, as um, someone who happens to work in Madison. I live in La Crosse with my husband, Chris, of 19 years at the end of uh, 2019. Uh, We have two boys who uh, are eighth grade and fourth grade, so 10 and 13. So this is really the only life that they have known, as uh, I have been in the legislature uh, their whole life, and I'm gone a couple days a week. Uh, and when they were little, I was fortunate that I have family down here and they came down with me and could uh, see, you know, stay with an aunt when I was down here when they were little. Um, the district I represent, it is a beautiful part of western Wisconsin. We call it God's country, the Driftless region. It's Monroe County, La Crosse, Vernon, and Crawford, right along the Mississippi River. So a lot of rolling hills, small, you know, family farms, the urban center of, of La Crosse where we've got health care and you know, education centers with that university and technical college and private college. So it's just, it's beautiful. It really, it's a, it's lacrosse is the biggest city and we've got small towns throughout the district. Do your kids think it's cool that you're in politics or they're, are they just like, what is this thing that mom does? Uh, I think, I mean, they just, they probably, as they get older, they recognize uh, sort of what I do. And it was interesting when my fourth grader, uh, well, my 
my oldest son, when he was in fourth grade, I was I didn't realize how excited I was for their school group to come down their class. And so that morning, it was a Tuesday. I was driving down anyway for work that week. He rode the bus uh, with his school friends and his class, and he said that morning at breakfast, Mom. Should I call you Senator today, or do I still get to call you Mom? And I said, you can call me Mom, <laughs> Nate. So and I think one of the compliments I had from one of those, one of my friends who I see at the bus stop, I often inter, you know, explain that I'm a bus stop mom, and I'm at the bus stop uh, with my kids on Monday, Tuesdays, and Fridays when I'm home. And one time one of the, the moms said, you know, don't take this the wrong way, Jen, but we, I often forget that you are a senator and you have this whole other double life that you lead and you go down to Madison and you have a staff and you, you have this office and you're working on public policy that I just see you as this, you know, mom, just like any one of us at the bus stop. And I said, well, that is a compliment because um, I don't take myself, I take my job seriously. I don't take myself always so seriously that it's important to have a good sense of humor in this job. So I took that as a compliment that, uh, you know, my, my bus stop moms, like they, they think I keep it real. That's Keeping it real is important. Yep. Yeah. Well, what path got you from uh, lacrosse to here? And I know you've had experience kind of working on both sides of, of politics. Yeah, I grew up in Madison. Actually, my dad worked in the Capitol uh, for Governor Marty Schreiber's administration. So we're here in my conference room, the leaders conference room, and I have a portrait of Governor Marty Schreiber hanging here in the conference room. I remember being a little girl and my mom bringing my sisters and I to the Capitol when he was sworn in as acting governor. We've always called him Governor Schreiber, (laughs) Uh, but that was when uh, Patrick Lucy was then um, promoted to ambassador. So it's been something that it was sort of just in the environment that I grew up in, that my, my dad um, was had worked in state government and public service. I went to school at UW-Lacrosse to be a physical therapist or athletic trainer. And, um, you know, grew up in Madison. I loved it. Uh, my sophomore year in high school, my dad got a different job, and we had to move to Illinois. And that was that just felt not natural, and I couldn't really relate. And I said, I'm going to get even. You're going to have to pay out of state tuition. I'm going to back, go back to <laughs> school in Wisconsin in two years. Uh, and I went to lacrosse, went to school at UW Lacrosse for athletic training. And the first semester was kind of rough. I wasn't probably as um, uh, academically challenge I, mean, I guess I wasn't as academically prepared as I should have been my first semester. I had a lot of fun at UW Lacrosse. And I ended up changing majors because uh, I didn't do well in the classes I needed. And so uh, I found my way to political science and I really enjoyed sort of public policy and growing up in a family where I had a grandfather was mayor of a small town, Columbus. Uh, and on the city council, my other grandfather was a, a judge and had been a district attorney. Like I remember that discussion of, of politics and the role of government and public policy around the table with my parents and grandparents. Okay. So what are some of the bills that you have passed over your time in the Assembly or the Senate that you can look back and, and feel really proud of? Yeah, I think I, I remember one of my first bills. Actually, I worked with um, Kitty Rhodes, and that was we were um, accepting some federal dollars for a, a health care program. And so I think as I came into the legislature, I was a class of one in 2000. And I quickly realized that I needed to meet with my colleagues on the other side of the aisle to get to know them because I really I was a class of one of one Democrat. And some of the experience, I mean, I, I served on the county board as a student at UWL, so having some local government experience, I think, helped talk about some common experiences that we've had. Many people who run for the for public office have come through local government. Uh, so I think working on on those pieces of legislation that 
I want to be a good partner and recognize the role that local government has. I think, I mean, I've always been one that talks about civility and bipartisanship and the pieces of legislation I've wanted to work on. I've wanted to have them be larger scope issues that are um, pertinent. Representing a community where healthcare is really important. I had, um, and it's critical for jobs and things like that, economic uh, opportunities and development. I had um, some healthcare providers come in and want to talk about a licensing issue. And because I wasn't familiar with it, I did some job shadowing at the hospital that day uh, on some licensure issues for anesthesiologists and um, anesthesiologist assistants. So I've liked some of those bills that kind of percolate up from home and the home district and legislative ideas that come from constituents. I think there's one that I'm proud about was for safety and um, for for men or women, but particularly women who um, who have are afraid for their own public safety and have gone through some harrowing experiences. But a young woman came in and talked about address confidentiality and working with the Department of Justice about address confidentiality and setting up a program that would allow um, people who feel threatened because of um, something in their past uh, and dealing with anybody with with stalking or with human trafficking and just have a concern about their public safety, establishing that address confidentiality uh, program with DOJ. And I worked with Senator Fitzgerald on that bill. And so I think some of the ones that may not have always the the biggest headlines, but yet really impact people and bring about, you know, demonstrates the good that can happen when we come together. Those are the bills I like to work on. You and Senator Fitzgerald seem to have a pretty good working relationship, which you don't always see so much in terms of working across the aisle. How do you keep up that ability to get along with? I I think I have a, um, it's a healthy respect that we have for one another. Uh, I think it is a sense of humor and I will sometimes uh, stop in there just to kind of say something or just check in a little bit and everybody sort of stands at attention at first like what is the minority leader doing in the majority leader's office but I think it it started I never served on a committee with him and so when I became the leader he called and congratulated me and I said look I'd love to go out for breakfast or dinner or do something after work with you to get to know you a little bit better. Everybody calls you Fitz. I don't know you that well. And if I call you Scott, I feel like I'm your mother. (laughs) So if we could try to go out or just kind of establish a relationship. And so uh, we have tried to do that. Our staffs work well together. And I, um, like I said, it's a healthy dose of respect, but humor. And when I, you know, go into his office, I want to be a good listener, but I'm also ready for to be witty and offer a little bit of a, maybe a, a quick jab or a sense of humor, a quick joke also. Um, and so I think that communication that we recognize that we each have a role to play in leading our caucus, but yet I've said when it comes time to trying to develop good public policy, I ask that you be square with me, I'll be square with you. Let's try to negotiate in a way that uh, we can try to build trust because this building is a really tough place to build trust among your colleagues and leaders. And you dressed up as him this, uh, for Halloween one year. I did. I did. I couldn't believe, of course, it was you know a bunch of folks who don't have young children that established the calendar and we come <laughs> in as, uh, for Halloween. And so I thought when I knew we had session that day that I went to Walgreens and bought like a dollar pair of glasses and <laughs> Had a red tie on and uh, did a little impersonation of him on the floor for Halloween. He was he took it in good stride and at first I said you know I'm just I'll, before I went to the floor I was dressed in my suit and I took a picture. He said what are you doing? I said well, it's Halloween I'm dressed up as you and I said let's take a not let's take a picture but not for so, you know we don't have to distribute social media. And then at the end of the day when I saw that President Roth Senator Roth had dressed up as 
Congress from 100 years ago, and they had a citation, I think, from about creating, establishing Thanksgiving. I looked at my staff. I said, they're wearing white powdered wigs. Are you kidding me? I can't go put on those glasses and that red tie. And so I adjourned that day, and I took uh, uh, Senator Fitzgerald's role and was called on and was uh, dressed up as him that day. That was fun. It was, I mean, we all had to be here for it. It was fun. <laughs> so we're heading into a weird, you've called it an arranged marriage before this era of um, divided government and people are trying to figure out how to get along. A lot of people serving in the legislature haven't served in any form of divided government before. What's your approach to navigating that with the Democrat in the governor's office, but Republicans still holding a majority in the legislature? Yeah, I have, I mean, I came into the Senate in 2011 it was a tough time and so I think civility is one thing that I've really tried to practice and demonstrate with my colleagues and so when I first came in I talked about um, when I had this checks mix diplomacy and I would make homemade checks mix and have it at committee meetings and the finance committee and so I'm a Methodist we have food at everything I think <laughs> hospitality is important um, and so working and I have called it an arranged marriage where honestly outside of this building we probably wouldn't even date each other and now we found ourselves like in an arranged marriage and that we need each other that hoping to find some common ground issues and dial back the bombastic campaign rhetoric that everybody uses and then in January we're sworn in and we all have to represent our district and figure out how we govern on Inauguration day when I addressed, addressed the Senate, I talked about the messiness of governing and we know it's going to be messy and just challenging people to stay at the table and work through that messiness. The day before inauguration, I'd seen Hamilton in Chicago with my sisters and it reminded me that governing has always been messy. It's always been complicated and you've always had strong personalities uh, that may not you know, particularly like each other or see themselves as going out for a, a, a beer after work, uh, as you'd seen sort of that animosity and that strange friendship, but yet competing personalities of Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton. And so it reminded me that it's always been messy and we need to work through it. Do you, you think, I mean, is anything going to get done these next four years? Are there areas where you really think... I want to be optimistic. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do admit that this place has been broken over the past and I you know as we get further away from 2011 and Act 10 and new faces come into the legislature that don't have that experience I think that that is that's good as we move past that that tough time um, I will say that you know the lame duck session did not help um, and that was that was tough as a kind of that blatant power grab and you know, I've I've told my Republican colleagues, like, you were in the five stages of grief, and it's about anger and denial, and then you need to get to bargaining and finally acceptance. And so I hope we can find some common ground issues to start us off and build trust. I think, honestly, transportation has been one area where, I you know, that's a bigger complex one, but session after session, that's one of my regrets. We haven't had a long-term funding, you know, sustainable funding mechanism. But I think there are some other areas that are significant, but maybe not to that top three pillar of, of issues that often we look to of education, healthcare, transportation, uh, that I hope we can find some common ground on. Yeah. Do you think it's true that everyone sort of agrees on where they want to get on those issues and it's just a difference of how you get there? Or is there a fundamental disagreement on where people want to end up to? I, and this is when I when I go into schools and I, I love going into you know elementary middle and high schools and talking about sort of what I do and the role of government and the job that we have and being engaged citizens um, and I talk about you know people ask me what's the difference between the two parties and I said you know ultimately I think we we both want strong schools we both want safe roads we want good jobs for our citizens and our strong communities but we do have different 
ways of, of getting there and, and how you achieve that goal. But I think having a split legislature, it drives people to the middle. There has to be compromise uh, in order to get things get things done. And it's, it's a new day, but it's a new experience really where many of the majority party members have never operated in a split legislature or a split government with a Democratic governor. So there's going to be growing pains. I, I recognize that. I keep telling them that you need to have like a mantra that you say in the mirror every morning, we don't control everything anymore because they don't seem to get it yet. And we have seen some things that are, you know, some things that are happening and we, at some point there's going to be a compromise that has to happen. If it's on the budget, if it's on these big issues where people want to plant a flag and, and call victory on things that, that we need to have bipartisanship. And I think for me, it starts with leadership and being able to work with, um, the majority leader, but also in our role, we are not going to compromise on our core values. And we now have a Democratic governor, which it is a, a bit of a psychological shift on the floor during debate, because for eight years, the Democrats have felt like we are the last line of defense. This is the hill that we have to feel like we have to die on. We got to plant the flag. And now knowing that there is leverage, there is a powerful veto pen that the governor, you know, wants, if he wants to sign Democratic bills, we need to get Republican approval. If the Republicans want their bills signed, they need some Democratic approval as well. And so I hope this place can operate, but it's, it, it's a tough place and I, I, I want it, I want us to be problem solvers. So as a Democratic leader in the Senate, part of your job is also to go up on the road and campaign for other Democrats on the ticket. So you don't just get to know your own district, you get to know the rest of the state. So what kind of things have you learned when you are out traveling the state, campaigning for people in districts that you don't spend a lot of time in? Um, well, one thing that I've learned, I mean, I love traveling the state. We have a beautiful state and I, I love getting into you know different communities and asking the best supper club to go eat at or or um, particularly the lakes. As I traveled around and I was up north with uh, Senator Janet Bewley, I was over in the Manitowoc and Sheboygan areas for Senate races there. The Great Lakes are amazing, and it just it is it has such a different feel. Uh, and I love being around water. And so I grew up in Madison, so the lakes here in in Madison, uh, being in La Crosse, and while we don't you know live on the Mississippi River, we live near the bluffs. It is something that I see every day, and our family has uh, a cabin up north on a small lake that was been in my family from my grandparents. So the natural beauty of the state, driving through the different seasons, and I as I drive even in the spring where I see the farmers out there and they're planting seeds and I, you know, and they're planting their crops. And then I see it kind of grow through the summer and I always get sort of nostalgic in the fall where I'm like, okay, now they're harvesting. I've seen this field grow from like uh, just a, a field of soil and they've cultivated it and now they are harvesting it. I think also as you get into these different communities and I've, as the leader, I've been down in Milwaukee quite a bit, you know, poverty, transportation, education, healthcare, there is this common denominator. And so we need to recognize that legislators from rural parts of the state and urban parts of the state, many of these issues may look different in the actual community, but the end result is, is the same. And so recognizing what poverty looks like in Milwaukee or in Madison, uh, in La Crosse, what it looks like in rural communities as well. The challenge of declining enrollment in our schools, the, the challenge of affordable access to health care, 
uh, and worker shortages in urban areas or rural areas of, of healthcare providers. And so I just, you know, I, sometimes I watch, uh, it is Wisconsin from the air. It's movie. It's like a TV program yeah, that, yeah. um, public radio, public television has done. And, and I've thought, and they did Wisconsin through the air and they did Wisconsin through the seasons. And I've thought the legislature should sit down together and watch that movie and recognize that we all, you sit up a little straighter when your part of the state is filmed and, and talked about and highlighted and talk about how we all have a lot of things that are common together and it is a beauty that we are a tapestry that we are woven together. Wedge Issues is sponsored by wispolitics.com. You can become a wispolitics.com member. Find out more at wispolitics.com slash membership. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and turn to some less capital-related questions okay. for you. Do, what is your favorite Wisconsin beer? My favorite Wisconsin beer? Uh, well, we've got great uh, some microbrewers in western Wisconsin. So to ask what my favorite one is, is like asking, like, which son, which child do I love um, more? Oh, I'm going to ask you that, too. Well, yeah, <laughs> depending on the day. But I will say, I mean, we've got uh, in Soldier's Grove, like, we've got uh, Driftless Brewing, and they're expanding, and I've got friends down there, so I love uh, Driftless Brewing. Uh, this weekend, I'm going to actually be with friends at Pearl Street Brewery, who are celebrating 20 years of um, being present in La Crosse and being open and beer making and production and distribution so i mean i would i would say i mean i love i love getting into those microbreweries in in western wisconsin our cabin is up north we've been into rhinelander brewing as well so i can't pick one but i will say we've got some really great microbrewers and i know i'm I'm leaving some out but those are some that i've had some history with and i've seen the growth over with both of those companies over the years so i enjoy that success yeah do you have a favorite body of water in Wisconsin, since that's something that's important to you? Well, like I said, the Great Lakes are amazing because you just see water until the horizon, and and you just it it's a different view of of Wisconsin. Probably my favorite view, though, is when I need moments to just sort of relax and find stillness. It, it is the cabin that and the lake that we're on and outside of Rhinelander. We're eight miles south of Rhinelander. It's a, a family cabin that my grandparents had. And I grew up going there. It's a two-bedroom, small cabin. We have an outhouse, so it's not anything luxurious <laughs> or anything. But just on on you know my phone, I love the picture of the pier and the stillness of the lake early in the morning. And I just have a lot of fond memories of my sisters and I and cousins growing up there. And now my boys getting out of bed, you know, the bunk bed in the second room and hopping down to the lake with their pajamas on and their fishing poles. And so... Um, I love arriving up there. We try to have happy hour on the pier, and so we're all balancing meticulously on the small pier uh, and having happy hour. And then it's always the last look when we leave the cabin and we've locked up all the doors and turned off the gas. And I always take one more look at the pier and just take a picture of the lake. So Squaw Lake is, is uh, special to me. That sounds really nice. So if someone's visiting your district, what are like three things that you would say you absolutely have to do this or like go to this place? Like, is there a restaurant you'd recommend or a site that people have yeah. to see? Uh, well, Granddad's Bluff, uh, we live right at the base of Granddad's Bluff. And so it's a beautiful view of really three states, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa. And you can really kind of see La Crosse and kind of understand how La Crosse and with the Driftless area you know, we were not, the glaciers did not come through the Driftless area. And so we've got these beautiful um, uh, bluffs and coolies. And so you can really see sort of the power of, of water from hundreds and thousands of years. 
Uh, so t- to go up to Granddad's Bluff. I think as a if you want to get kind of a flavor for Western Wisconsin, I, I love the community of Viroqua. So I would say go down to go down to Viroqua uh, and see their downtown and eat at uh, Driftless Cafe, which has really put local food on the map for Wisconsin and the region as people come from Chicago to uh, Minneapolis. So um, that's always kind of a special place, and it's been my routine on a, uh, on election day to go down and have lunch down there with. Um, Luke and uh, Ruthie, that they own the restaurant there and to stop in there. So certainly Driftless Cafe. Um, and um, let's see, kind of a third thing. I think, I mean, outdoor, the water sports and hiking, and we've got great views of the region. So getting out to any park, we've got Wildcat uh, Mountain. Uh, Trumpelo Mountain is not, in, is, Trumpelo's not in my Senate district, but it's just half hour. So I think getting out and hiking the bluffs, um, my sister recently moved back to Wisconsin. She's got two dogs, so she is sort of reignited. Like, come on, we got to get out and hike. Get the dogs off the leash, and so showing her some of these new hiking trails and views have been really fun. So I would encourage people to kind of understand and see a view of the region from up above. Great. So when you are making the drive to and from, do you listen to anything in the car? Uh, sometimes I do. In the winter, it seems like I've always got Jimmy Buffett Margaritaville on because right. I, you know, these winters are long. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so listening to some beach songs and Floridian songs with drinks with umbrellas in it. Um, last or two summers ago, I saw Billy Joel in concert at Lambo. It was one of the more fun concerts I'd been with. We went with friends, and so I was on a real Billy Joel kick. I listened to Hamilton, and so I try to get inspired as I'm coming down here, and I'm not giving up my shot. Um, 1776, I'm born on the 4th of July, so I listened to some of those. Um, but sometimes, too, I have just now recognized, like, the need for stillness and to recharge, and this job is pretty demanding and a lot of things that are happening, and so I have consciously really tried now to get into the car and not listen to anything for a while, because I catch myself, oh, I can make these phone calls, I need to connect, I need to call so-and-so back, and it's a two-hour and 15-minute drive, I can find some moments of stillness to just be quiet with my thoughts and think like I found that I I need to schedule time to think that um, to process stuff uh, and just kind of think of big pictures and how to solve things and sometimes you know I'm a doer I'm a list maker I'm a finisher and sometimes in my rush to fix something or do it it sometimes works itself out I have learned in my role in 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 leadership and so sometimes just having those moments to settle and re-energize and you know, not everybody has a two-hour and 15-minute drive, but if you can find those little moments of stillness to try to reconnect and recharge. Yeah. All right. My last question for you might be difficult because you already had to choose some things, but what is your favorite Wisconsin cheese? My gosh, my favorite Wisconsin cheese. I thought you were going to ask Supper Club. Oh, um, well, I can ask that too. Oh, yeah. So yes, because I yeah. definitely have that one. Okay. Uh, my favorite Wisconsin cheese, um, I... I love white cheddar, like aged cheddar. I will. I mean, I love a white cheddar on, on like a tuna fish sandwich. But I love sharp aged cheddar. Like the sharper, the better. With the little crystals, like as you cut. I mean, yeah. my mouth is watering right now. I know that crunch so, is like the best part. Yeah. So I will. I will say a really good aged cheddar is my favorite. Um, I my mom packed my lunch for school when I was little. I mean, I loved blue cheese. When I was a little kid, I would bring blue cheese to school, which is not... Unusual. It is yeah. unusual. I love yeah. blue cheese. And so I didn't have a lot of friends that sat at the lunch table when I would have like green peppers or yogurt or um, blue cheese. But I, a sharp cheddar is is the best. And my favorite supper club, because I am a supper club person, I love a good brandy old-fashioned sweet, is 
by far, it's Ishinawa. That, that is my favorite special place. It's where we go for birthday celebrations mm -hmm. for me um, with my husband, that every year we have a standing date to go there and just to sit out and, again, look at the water, Mirror Lake right there. Uh, I just love that atmosphere, and it's just so... Wisconsin and so I love Ishinala is my go-to place and my happy place when it comes to a good supper club. That's good to know I've still never been which I feel like is not okay anymore. No so. it is it is a it is a you can celebrate big or small there I mean mm -hmm. like I love the, the when I go I'm like go big or go home so it's the lobster uh, tail that I like to get but I just I love the ambiance. I love the drive in there. I love the, it's next door to a, uh, a state park, Mirror Lake. I just love the tree canopy. And I just, I just love looking at the water and sitting out there and having a drink and just trying to relax a little bit and recharge and just know that Wisconsin is a great place. It is really special and we are all really fortunate to live here. And since my heart still likes to be, I'm coming home. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll be back every week with new episodes, so make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to stay up to date. You can also leave us a rating or review, which helps us out. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse Opie, J-E-S-S-I-E-O-P-I-E, -E -E, or you can email me at J-O-P-O-I-E-N at Madison.com. Check out our other Cap Times podcasts like The Corner Table, or the Mad Splainers, which is currently highlighting the Madison mayoral race. We'll see you next week. Wedge Issues has been brought to you by Wispolitics.com. There are plenty of benefits to becoming a member. You can go to wispolitics.com slash membership to find out more.